The last time I was up here was Easter Sunday, and uh, it was a real privilege. To, I'm actually going to do this. And this doesn't mean anything, you all know that. It's just, it's a digital watch, and every time somebody wants to send a message, it vibrates my arm. <laughs> so I don't want to look at it. So last time I was, it was Easter Sunday, and uh, I had the privilege of uh, speaking from Luke chapter 24, and I uh, actually went through the entire chapter. And I, I guess I might have gone over my allocated time, and somebody might have complained. I'm not going to mention Nick's name because he's not here to defend himself. But this time, Don's like, Derek only gets three verses. So uh, I've been given three verses today. I do like a challenge, so I'd say get comfortable, but I've sat in those seats. I know that's not possible. We are in week five of the first series on the book of James, and we're still in chapter one because I haven't preached yet. The book of James, it's an incredible... Uh, it's, it's called an epistle, an elet, a letter. As, uh, it's an incredible letter because it's kind of like the New Testament's Proverbs. It's a book of incredible wisdom and lots of wise sayings, and that's why you can take three verses and make a message. It's, it's a, a general epistle because it wasn't written to anybody in particular, like Timothy and Philemon or Titus. It wasn't written to a particular church like Corinthians or Galatians. Um, it's just a general letter written by, as we've uh, unpacked before, the half-brother of Jesus, James. And it was a letter to, well, definitely to believers, but to everybody really, because it's just so full of good stuff. Up until now, it's all about... Uh, it's been all about facing trials. So the last four weeks, we've been talking about uh, facing trials, particularly as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Because you see, at the time that James wrote this epistle, the Jews were going through severe hardships and persecutions. They were really, really going through the mill. They'd been forced to flee their homes. They were suffering financial difficulties. Um, and clearly, some of them were getting a little bit jaded. And then James steps in, and he says to them, you guys, you need to endure these trials. You need to persevere so that you can mature in your faith. You need to meet these hard times with discipline and, and self-control, and you need to be strong and, and face it. And, and, and then, of course, last week, don't give in to temptation. Well, here's James's next pearl of wisdom. Remember who God is in your trial. Remember who God is in your trial. You see, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Are you going to get better or worse? Do you become broken and bitter and brittle by the trials of life or are you going to soften and mature? Basically, if you've been here for the last four weeks uh, and the message ended there, you'd be like, wow, the Christian life is hard. It's tough, man. Uh, life sucks. Uh, uh, but then you get to my three verses. 
And I always get to preach the best part of every series. I don't know if they plan it, but I get to get the climax. And, and these three verses are the best in the chapter. Here are my three verses. Now, I notice John takes his glasses off to read. I have to put mine on. But turn with me or, or tap your iPad until you get to James chapter 1. And we're looking at verses 16 to 18. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Do you see what I mean? I mean, this is, this is cool. I'm gonna put my Bible in the handbag. Warning to all the mothers in the second meeting. Put a Bible in your handbag. This is the part that you've been waiting for. And if you have friends who heard the first couple messages and they're not here today, go and get them. Or at least send them the podcast. Because here's the bubble gum and the fizz pop. Here's that, that waterfall on top of the mountain. Here's the flaky and the soft serve. I don't know. This is the part that makes it all worth it. James was clearly a good leader and a wise leader, and I bet he was getting a lot of questions at the time from those that were following him. And those of you in leadership know what it's like to get all the tough questions from those who are looking up to you, difficult questions from people who are going through real stuff, real hurts, real trials. James, you're a Christ follower. You're going through trials. You're going through persecution like the rest of us. James, how do you do it? Where do you get your strength from? Where do you get your resources for this? I don't want to fall apart and lose it. I want to persevere. I want to mature. How do you do it, James? Life sucks, James. How do you do it? James says, you need something to help you face the stinky life. You don't just have to suck it up. There's a motivation and a power you can tap into. So we get these three verses. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Don't be deceived. God only gives good things. Don't be deceived as to how you think about God. James doesn't want us believing lies about who God is and, and what God's like and, and how he acts in our lives. James sets this passage up in contrast to the one we looked at last week as if to say, in your trial, don't think of God as the sadistic tempter, rather as the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the world who is unchangeable and the redeemer of all things. God is the giver of perfect gifts and only brings us good things. I think we get confused a little bit by the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because God doesn't lead us into temptation. God doesn't tempt us. Uh, that would be opposite to his character. 
God allows us to be tested, as we've seen. God allows us to go through trials that we might mature and we might have uh, our character built. But God doesn't tempt us. And, and Colin went into great detail on this last week. The fallen world tempts us. The devil tempts us. Our sinful nature tempts us. But God delivers us from evil. Don't be deceived in how you think about God and who God is. The Message Bible translates this part of the Lord's Prayer quite nicely. It says, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. If, like James has taught us, that God doesn't give bad gifts like temptation, what does God give us? If God isn't the one behind our stumbling, then what is he like? If the only thing that you can say right now is that life stinks, well, then you've forgotten who God is and what God is like. James knows that the right thinking about God while enduring a trial is crucial. If we to mature through trials as, as we go through as Christians, our understanding of what God is like and what God is not like is crucial. God gives good gifts and they are yours for the taking, yours for appreciating, yours for enjoying. God is the giver of good gifts to his children. The answer is God gives and he keeps giving every good thing that we need to endure because he will only give us good things. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heaven the heavenly lights. By choosing the words coming down, James is effectively saying God repeatedly, it's coming down like manna from heaven, repeatedly, continually, daily new mercies, he gives us good gifts. God can help you to endure tough times, but not just to endure them, but to go through them with an internal joy, unexplainable peace. God can bless you even though you're in a period of difficult or extreme hardship, you're going through difficult times, but God can even use you as a blessing to others. And at this time, I'm going to call on Lou to come and share his testimony. Jump up here. There we go. So um, one thing I've just realized that's really important this morning, that's a bad chair, because you've been staring at my chrome dome all morning, so I will not sit there after this. <laughs> um, yeah, not a very awkward chair, actually. <laughs> um, but some of you heard parts of my testimony, uh, and my testimony, there are many stories in my testimony, but I want to share one aspect with you, and, and I realize that many of you have been through much deeper painful journeys than I have been uh, and I want to acknowledge that and I just trust that something out of what I share will touch a chord and point you to Christ because ultimately it's him who does it all and I'm not going to start I've been a Christian for a long time so I've got many stories but uh, here we go um, Fran and I have found in our lives that you know there, there's a story of Joshua when he goes through the Jordan and he says to the Israelites each one of you must pick up a stone representing each tribe when you get to the other side, 
make a pile of stones. And the reason for that is that one day when your children ask you, what, is those, what does that pile mean? You can share with them what God did for you. And uh, something that we have found in our lives, Fran and I, is we have many of those piles of stones over the years of our marriage uh, that we've had to go through, that God has shown us, that we can point back to and say, wow, remember in that situation where God was. And that gives us such courage. Um, and this is just one of those stories. So I've been in my own uh, with a couple of partners in business for 23 years in June. So that's a long time. And I'm a conservative actuary by heart, which is some people don't understand. So to go from a big corporate into own business was a journey in itself. But in this, uh, our own business situation, there have been times when we've had really tough times. And uh, we built a little can of stones, you know, and we said, okay, God is with us in that time. But little did we realize the time we would ultimately, well, I don't even know it's ultimately yet, but a time we would go through that uh, gratefully ended about three years ago. Uh, but it was four years of extremely lean time. Much prayer. Some of you know some of those stories because I remember st standing standing and sharing in a Thanksgiving day when it was like the depth of the pain, you know. Uh, but God was there in that time, uh, and he was with us, and it was so encouraging to us. And it, it reached the stage where um, we had to, like, semi-partition part of our house, so that's a blessing that we could even do that, put a tenant in there because there was no cash flow, and the debt was growing, and how are we going to survive this, this ordeal? Um, and two experiences that were, for me, supernatural that I wanted to share was the one was, for two weeks every morning, I woke up singing a worship song, a different one. I don't know where that came from. It hasn't happened again. But it was so encouraging to me to be able to wake up worshiping, not knowing what the day would bring. And then um, an another thing that happened, just when it reached its like climax and its peak, where, Lord, it can't get worse, the partner who was one of the co-founders with me walked in and resigned. And uh, we had always said, you know, him and I are the heart and soul of the business. If one goes, it's not going to work. So there I was at the lowest of low, and my partner leaves the business. And uh, <coughs> I was extremely angry, <laughs> very hurt. Uh, I'd known him longer than I'd known my wife, actually. And uh, <coughs> I had a quiet time, and the Lord spoke to me so clearly. You know those moments when you have a quiet time, and it's like the words jump out of the page, uh, those of you who, who've had that experience, and I trust you have them often, uh, it really just hit me. And the Lord said to me very clearly, what's happened with your partner is not your problem. I will deal with that. You need to trust in me. And uh, I sat on my bed and Fran walked in and there were like tears running down my face. I was like, I, I can't do anything. I've just got to let this thing go. It's so hard. And two mornings later, a completely different scripture, exactly the same message. And I called my other business partner and I said, we've got to let this thing go. The fact that this guy's walked out on us, it just has to, it's what, what God called us to. And um, you know those days when we still used to drive to work? <laughs> so I used to drive to work, you know, in Rondebosch. Uh, and I'd often put on a song. And uh, something that's worked for me as well when you're going through trials is find a song that really speaks to your heart that God can use in your life. And there's a song, Lauren Daigle, I just love her singing. If you haven't listened to her, you should. And she's got a song called, I, Tr I Will Trust In You. I just want to read you some of those words because <laughs> I drive down the road, tears. I, I said to a friend, I don't know what people must think driving next to me because I'm singing full blast in this car you know, to myself, tears streaming down my face. But he said, letting go of every single dream, 
I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wandering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war. I confess my hands are weary. I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fight, no matter what I face, you're by my side. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers, as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. The truth is, you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day ahead you have not seen. So in all things, be my life and breath. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. <clears throat> so you can see why that meant so much. Eh? So the amazing thing is that God turned it around. And uh, I remember in the beginning sharing with people, I say, they'd say, how are you doing? I say, I'm just blessed. And then I realized, no, we are all blessed. It doesn't matter what we're going through. We are blessed because we can be called His. So I've changed that to say I'm grateful. And uh, what, what happened a few years ago, there was a client I was trying to get into. So we're in a consulting firm. A friend of mine said, you should expect this. You're always three months from bankruptcy. So that was a lesson for me, being a consulting firm that builds hours. Um, and uh, there was someone I'd been emailing and trying to call and working through friends on her Exco team. Couldn't get her. Five years I tried. I get a WhatsApp in June 2020, and it's from a friend. He said, I've just seen this person, told her to get hold of you. I think she needs you. Here's a number. Before I could even contact her, I get a WhatsApp from this executive to say, could we please have a chat? We've got this need. Um, long story short, on her WhatsApp, she's got a little picture of a child, and it basically says, um, it's not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance with him in the rain. I thought, wow, that's quite profound. So we have this business chat about what we can do for them, etc. And right at the end, I say to her, you know, this little picture and slogan on your WhatsApp is really meaningful to me. Now, pre-COVID, executives typically didn't WhatsApp you, so that was the first miracle. So it really means a lot to me. She says, yeah. She says, uh, I'm a born-again believer. I follow Christ, and um, without him, I could never do my job. Most of my time, I'm in prayer and I said, wow, that's amazing. So I gave her my story. Anyway, in this process, I realized I'm going to need help because the, the job is just too big. And I reached out to a, <coughs> a lady in Joburg and trying to build a kind of understanding of what her business does because it's similar to ours. And her surname was Naidu, okay? And so we get this job and it took less than three weeks. Now, normally a client like that takes more like three months in our kind of business. And uh, <coughs> our have a Zoom call with uh, this person, and I say to her, look, there's a God thing that's happened here. It wasn't anything of my doing, uh, but I'm keen to see if you can help us. And she leans into the screen like this, and she says, are you a Christian? So I said, yes, I am. She said, well, I'm a born-again believer. I'm a Hindu that came to faith 14 years ago. So I said, wow, that's amazing. <coughs> and uh, hang up, or you don't hang up with Zoom, hey, you click off. <coughs> anyway, I phone my new client and I say to her, look, I hope you don't mind. I couldn't deal with this project on my own. I've called someone in and it's this person in Joburg and her, name, it's not, her surname's Nadu. And she says, her, I used to work with her. Won't you reconnect us, please? So that night, Friday evening, Friday night at the Blockhouse, I WhatsApp the, each of them their numbers. They come back, oh, wonderful to reconnect. Both people of faith. Uh, so they're the three of us in this big client, uh, people of faith working together. 
that's been like an absolute miracle. Um, so I don't know what the future holds. I know I've stood up here and said that already once before, and God put me through a trial. But he's with us in the trial. And I hope that uh, you'll be encouraged to build some of those little stone altars as well and point back to them. And I know even in our family, how much of an encouragement that has been to, to Mark, my son-in-law, and to others. So God bless. Amen. God is good. God continually gives good gifts. When you go through trials like that, what are the good gifts? Even when you're not going through trials, what are the good gifts? In a world of pain, what are good gifts? See, so often they can be taken for granted because we can sometimes try and be overly spiritual or we can just not see for the tears in front of us. So we need to find the good gifts. We need to recognize them for what they are. Have friends over for a bride. Climb a mountain. Paint a picture. Listen to your favorite song. Children dance. Teenagers hang out. Married couples make love. Or make fresh pasta. Have you made fresh pasta? Have you smelt freshly ground coffee? That does Reading a good book. Call an old friend. Ride a bike. Laugh, laugh, and laugh some more. How merciful is God? God throws out there into the world an enormous amount of talent and beauty and common sense. And whether you believe in him or not, whether you're a Christ follower or not, we can appreciate the good gifts. Even if it's not a Christian musician or a Christian painter or artist, we can appreciate their talent. We can appreciate God through those beautiful things. Praise God as you listen to good music. But, there's always a but, isn't there? Don't mistake these things for the reality to which they point, or you'll be continually disappointed. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, in the chapter called Hope, he says the following, when you get into the presence of the good gifts of life, like listening to a piece of music or standing in front of the person you're falling in love with, standing in front of a beautiful landscape or the seashore, sometimes you get overtaken with a very palpable sense that you're in the presence of something that you have wanted your entire life and this embodies it. And if you have this, you will finally be happy. So when that happens, what do we do? We, we, we build that house there, or, or we marry that person, or at least we download that song. We go after that good gift, and it's great for a while. And then eventually you have to call the plumber, or the band brings out a new song that now you also have to download, or the honeymoon phase is over. Eventually you find that the vision fades. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, when you stand in front of the object of beauty, after the vision fades, the music ends, the landscape loses its celestial beauty, you suddenly realize that the beauty has smiled on you, but it has not welcomed you. You have not really being accepted, welcomed, or taken in to the dance. In other words, the light is not 
in the music or the landscape or the romance. But all these good gifts point to the Father of heavenly lights. All these good gifts to the, point to the one thing that you actually want, the one thing your heart actually longs for, the one thing that can actually make you happy, the Father of lights. A Christian, James points out, is somebody who has learned not just to enjoy every good and perfect gift, but learned to see what is behind it. When you get a good gift, you have to learn to see that there's something behind it. The Father of heavenly lights. It's a perfect light. It's the ultimate light. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. You see, God is the ultimate creative and sustaining power in our world, the Father of heavenly lights. The heavenly lights are the stars in the sky, the sun and the moon. James wants the believers to know God's power is unmatched, both to create and to sustain. He called God the Father, the Father. He is the one who made them. He is the one who set them in place. It draws our attention to the creative acts of God. God is the one who keeps them in motion as they orbit. God is caring for the world. He made it and he sustains it. Without the sun and the moon, there'd be no life on earth. James is reminding his, his readers of God's unrivaled power and care for the world. In other words, the one who created the heavens and sustains the heavens by day, day after day, is not weak or impotent. He made everything by his power and his might. Psalm 136, verse 4 to 9, you know it well. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. Forever. Isaiah 40, verse 21 to 23. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Don't be deceived. That same powerful God is with you in your times of trouble. And he does not change like the shifting shadows. Verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. God is unchangeable. The theological word that James is pointing to here is the immutability of God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The literal Greek means the variation or shadow of turning. Both variation and turning, they were associated with cosmology in the ancient world. So the theme of the stars continues. Variation refers to the ordinary movements of the moon, the planets, and the stars. They have an orbit, they have a pattern 
which means they're constantly in motion. They're changing all the time. The stars and the moon are constantly in transition, constantly changing. Look at the shadows on a sundial as time passes, the shifting shadows, unlike God. God, on the other hand, is unchangeable, stable, and constant. That's why he's dependable. In verse 5, earlier we looked at James's a few weeks ago. James highlights the single-mindedness of God. And we remember James saying, God's heart is pure and undivided, whereas a man's heart is divided and unstable because of it. We yo-yo and toggle between faith and fear or doubt and pride and selfishness and love and self-centeredness. And because our thoughts and thinking patterns are the only ones we know, it doesn't mean we can put that on God, thinking he's ambivalent like us. James wants to reassure us God's not like that. Because of his immutability, we can trust him. God is perfect the way he is. As such, any changing would lead to a lessening of him rather than improving of him. Trust in the unchanging goodness of God. Verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is the redeemer of all creation. He's our unwavering creative father. And he gave us new birth through the gospel, through the word of truth. The greatest of all gifts given to us is our redemption through Jesus Christ. The same, uh, James uses the same word, birth and bore. Last week we looked at it in verse 15. Sin gives birth to death, but the gospel births us into God's family. The ultimate good gift is to be born again. You need to be born again. It's absolutely necessary. It's hopeless and naive to think you only need to live a good life. Nobody can just live a good life. Nobody ever has, nobody ever will in their own strength be good enough or perfect. You need to be born again. We couldn't possibly live the good life unless something comes in us and changes us completely and utterly. It's not possible for us to do it on our own or, or as we are. There's an absolute necessity for outside intervention. So to become a Christian, to become a Christ follower, is to be born spiritually. Have you seen a birth recently? <laughs> I haven't. Um, I, not since Emily was born, and that was 12 years ago. But this is what I kind of remember. When they're born, they're very immature. You can't say to them, okay, new person, um, get dressed, we're going home, get in the car, you can drive. Because they can't. They're babies. They're absolutely, utterly hopeless. Helpless, not hopeless. <laughs> helpless. They're helpless. If you want the power to deal with all life's going to throw at you, you need to start at the bottom. It doesn't matter if you have a doctorate or an Olympic medal. If you become a Christian, you start at the bottom. You start with baby steps. And it takes a huge amount of humility. But James is telling us that you're born again through the word of truth. And so you start to read 
the Bible. If you become a Christian, you go by this truth. This is where you get the power to do what's right. The truth becomes alive in you. And it's not just a set of rules or experiences. It becomes a part of you. It becomes alive and real. Eternal life is something you're ushered into when you're born again. It doesn't mean you get smarter. It means that things that were theoretical or or nonsense to you before become solid. And you can understand them and you can accept them. Things that used to be nonsense to you. Things like uh, uh, the mercy of God and salvation and forgiveness. Something happens the moment you're born again. You can deal with all that this life throws at you because finally it all makes sense. You see the bigger picture. You need that motivation that comes from seeing every good and perfect gift comes from above. You need that power that comes when you see that God never changes and that God has a redemption plan. And then you can say that this life does not completely suck. In fact, it can be incredibly sweet. But our new birth is not the end of God's great plan of redemption. Our new birth points as a kind of first fruit, James says, to the coming renewal of all creation. Our new birth is evidence of God's great salvation plan to redeem the entire cosmos. Because James reminds us that like the first fruits to appear on a tree, as a sign that there is more to come. James, uh, who began this chapter by speaking of God as the creator, now transitions to revealing God as the redeemer. New birth and first fruits, it's a language of redemption. Ours first, then the rest of the heavens and the earth. There is so much to look forward to. If you've got that eternal perspective while you're going through a trial. New birth. Here's the challenge that confronts us this Mother's Day. As we land and as the band comes up. In the words of Jesus, have you been born again. John 1 verse 12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. James uses the description of first fruits to call to mind the Hebrew background. The first sheaf of the harvest was cut and carefully prescribed and meticulous in a meticulous ceremony presented to the Lord. The first fruit belonged entirely, wholly to the Lord. You are the first fruit. Is your life wholly presented to the Lord this Mother's Day? We'll also be known by our fruit. Having been born again, is my life now increasingly revealing the fruit of Christ's life and character, the fruit of the Spirit? There's no greater legacy, moms, that we, that we can leave behind than the legacy of a fruitful Christian life, an authentic Christ-like life. In the Old Testament, the Lord's acceptance of the first fruit was like his guarantee of a full harvest. So there's the good news. He will help you through whatever you're going through. Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until 
the day of Jesus Christ. Of all the good gifts, the gift of Jesus was the greatest. Of all the gifts we can give to God and to others on this Mother's Day, the greatest would be the gift of a Christ-like life. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Let's pray and then let's worship God. Sure, Father God, as we picture the stars in the night sky that can just, that Milky Way when you're camping, they just go on forever and ever. They're so big and they're so vast and our finite minds can't fathom or understand that the God who created all of that, the God of eight billion people around the world is the God who knows my name, the God who knows what I'm waking up to tomorrow is the God of the past and the God of the future. Lord God, help us to fully understand how much you care, how much you love, and that your love endures forever. Thank you that you're the Father of heavenly lights. Thank you that you are unchanging. Thank you, Lord God, that you're a good, good Father who gives only good gifts and that you care so deeply about us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, the greatest gift of all. And help us, Lord God, as we go through trials and mature in our faith, help us to become more and more like him. We love you, Lord. Amen.